Welcome back to Bad Reviews for Good Books. And da 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 It's like from a game show or something from a long time ago. I think it's from Price is Right. That's not Price is Right. I don't know what it is. If anyone knows, please let us know. You know. <laughs> I'm just Every gonna, week. I'm always going to keep going. Well, the reason I did that fun little intro <laughs> was because Ryan's guessing today. Ooh. Yeah, but I'm going to have to hold my phone in a real sneaky way <laughs> so you can't see what I'm I'll doing. close my eyes. Here's the first one. You ready? Hit me. Mark says this. Reading it, I cannot see what message other than humanity's right to rape and pillage the land can be drawn from it. Maybe it is one of those subliminal stories messaging subconscious calls to responsible stewardship of the land and concern for the wider world into the brains of young readers or listeners before they become hardened to destruction and deforestation, but it just ends horribly. <laughs> okay, well, it sounds like it's the opposite of Ferngully. <laughs> <laughs> um, a book that's written by... Anti tree huggers? You're stumped, aren't you? <laughs> so stumped. <laughs> I'm a fool. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Here's a new one. This is Merritt, and he's got a really cute little bookworm avatar, but I can't show it to you. He says one star, and then I'm just gonna show you this. It's like happy face. He's like one star happy face, and then he's like this. But it's a backwards happy face. Yeah, <laughs> and then he says this book makes me really sad. <laughs> Any guesses? Um, let's see. The other guy was like teaching kids that it's okay to destroy the earth. Well, is this some sort of like let's drill oil book? <laughs> <laughs> what book have this you read? Like, let's this... drill oil. Oh, all right, you ready for another one? Another yeah. ambiguous review. Yes. Hated it when I was five. Nothing's changed. Okay. <laughs> that should give you a little bit more. <laughs> so it's a children's book. That was Amanda, by the way. Amanda said that. A children's book about a book. Children's book about the earth. <laughs> Hated it when I was five. Nothing's changed. We've already done the choo-choo train thing. <laughs> what? Spewing pollution into <laughs> oh, the air. Oh, yeah, no. Are you talking about uh, the golden books? Yeah. Yeah. Toodles? A five-year-old. So it must be... Um, <laughs> I'm thinking it must be some sort of classic. Because this guy, when he was five years I'm old... I'm not giving you any answers. <laughs> a classic where guys... Where we hate the earth and destroy it. Wasn't that pretty much all of the books back then? Before we knew that no. everyone was going to die <laughs> from global warming? No. Okay. You ready for another one? Yes. This is Chloe. She says, I feel like people who love this book base their feelings on nostalgia alone. Because if you read it now and think about the message, I do not understand how it could leave you with warm fuzzies. <laughs> this is one creepy kid's book. Creepy kid's book. Wizard of Oz. Nope. Dang it. Alice in Wonderland. Mm-mm. Dang it. All right. Well, those are all the... I failed, basically. <laughs> <laughs> those are all the ones that had, like, no... I feel like away. now... Well, now you're just going to know because there's no other way to... All right. Well, give me, like, one word clues. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what... Okay. I'll give you a clue. That's not one word. Okay. I don't like this author. Uh... Margaret Wise Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Which also, I should mention, that when we started the podcast, I think we had planned to just review books that we liked that had one star. 
But we realized pretty quickly after starting that it makes more sense to do books, you know, that are generally loved that people gave bad ratings to. And we might not be on the list of people that love the book. Like We, we might, would be on the list we, of people who gave it one star reviews. I, I did give this star. I gave this star. <laughs> I gave this book you one gave star. It one book. All right. How about let's do this. Let's do you ask me yes or no questions. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Is it a male author? Yes. Have I ever read this book? Yes. Have I read it to the kids? Maybe. Probably. I think we've had a discussion about this book not that long ago. Does this book teach principles that we don't agree with? Um, that's I can't really answer that. I would say no. I don't like the way that it was presented. Is it anthropomorphism? <laughs> What's that? You're like, I'm not going to say it is that- <gasps> because then I don't want them to know. I don't know what this is. Is that when an animal? Becomes- yes, an animal is personified. Or, or an object, though, can it be? I think it's just animals. Okay. Maybe. I guess it could be. I don't know, like the brave little toaster. It's like, who wants to read about a toaster? Yeah, <laughs> somebody because it got published. So. Well, it depends on what the definition is. <laughs> That's why I. So it's that's why I was objects like, and not animals. Well, I'm asking, is it? I think it's just animals. Okay, then no. <laughs> okay, is it object promorphism? <laughs> object promorphism. I'm pretty sure I had a whole discussion with one of our kids about anthropomorphism. Anth- oh my gosh, I can't even say it now because one of their teachers was like, "It's anything that's not supposed to be alive that becomes alive." Okay, well we're gonna need to Google that now. Okay, hey Siri, define anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism means the attribution of human characteristics or behavior to a god, animal, or object. Or object. A god? Animal or object. So in That's that case... Weird. I would never... In that case, yes, it is anthropomorphism. Oh my gosh, I'm so smart because you're teaching me so much. Object. The only thing I can think of is the brave little toaster, which is... I <laughs> it just keeps popping into your head. Brave little toaster. Is the object... Electrical. No. <laughs> is the object natural? Yes. Okay. Is it like a fruit? Does it grow? Yes. It grows. Is it something we eat? No. <laughs> okay, so... Oh, the giving tree. Yes! Oh, yes. <laughs> so this is Sava. She says, codependent tree needs to set some effing boundaries. <laughs> Which is so good. And actually, before I go on, I want to read some stuff about Shel Silverstein, because I know this, and I think you know this, but our listeners probably don't know about this, about Shel Silverstein. Okay. We've talked about him, right? I don't know. You don't? Oh, my gosh. Get ready, guys. Because we're going to talk some smack about a favorite children's (laughs) author that's probably dead. He was from a middle-class Jewish family in Chicago. Young Sheldon was a poor student who hated conformity. After being kicked out of one college, dropping out of another, and being drafted to serve in the Korean War, his prospects looked rather dim. I didn't get laid much. I didn't learn much. Silverstein (laughs) later summed up his college days. Those are the two worst things that can happen to a guy. He actually (laughs) said that. This is a beloved children's author, okay? I didn't get laid much. I didn't learn much. And apparently those are the two worst things that can happen to a guy. He worked as a freelance cartoonist for a few years until 1956 when he got his big break. A job on staff at fellow Chicagoan Hugh Hefner's Young Playboy magazine. Oh, dear. Did you know that? No. All right. Fellow Playboy cartoonist Skip Williamson. Playboy has cartoons? 
they did in the beginning. So, like, it started out, they had images and they also had lifestyle articles. That and, nobody read. And, car- <laughs> like, apparently Shel Silverstein was pretty well known for his limericks and limericks are like the naughty poems right well i don't think they have to be naughty. well his were (laughs) anyway it says this is fellow playboy cartoonist skip williamson likewise tells rogat that silverstein knew his way around a skirt recalling how he and the children's author used to walk down the street telling the beautiful women they encountered that they worked for playboy and asking if they would like to be a playmate if any of their targets expressed interest, Silverstein would pull out a measuring tape to record her dimensions. What? Yeah. Can we talk about objectification for a minute? Oh, am goodness. I am so bothered by this. When I was researching this, I was trying to parse out why I was so bothered. And I think that I kind of hold children's book authors to a slightly higher standard because... Some kids might love books and then want to know more about the author and then use them kind of as a role model. and. He was really well known for his Where the Sidewalk Ends and The Giving Tree. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, what happened to you, obviously? But it's disappointing because I don't want kids to be like, oh, he's a Playboy Mansion, you know? What's what's a Playmate, mommy? (laughs) I want a Playmate. And the idea of him approaching women and then taking their dimensions. Well, that was pretty normal back then, wasn't it? Taking people's dimensions <laughs> on the street, I'm going well, to say no. Well, if they no. say they want to be a playmate, that, I mean, it was just all about objectification. Well, I understand that, but it's like degrading just hearing about that, oh, you yeah, know what I mean, as a woman. But I grew up thinking that Shel Silverstein was gay because of, he had, okay, so one of his poetry books, he writes a poem about the letters G-A. And mm-hmm. then on the other side of the page, there's a hand that's making a Y. So when I saw it, it looked like, you know, gay. G-A, and then on the other hand, a hand making a Y. Okay. So I just thought well, that... It could, he could have no, been I know. just being like gay, like for no, <laughs> for no <laughs> reason. For no reason. <laughs> right. But um, that seems like kind of a going out of your way to make a subliminal message about something you don't really... Maybe he was bisexual. I don't know. But I did enough research to know that he definitely liked ladies. <laughs> okay. Interesting. So this was funny, too. This was on Aussie.com. It says, just right <laughs> Sorry, just, <laughs> just try to read his classic Hug a War from Where the Sidewalk Ends without summoning those sundrenched scenes of yore in Hefner's Pleasure Garden. Ready? <laughs> I will not play at Tug a War. I'd rather play at Hug a War, where everyone hugs instead of tugs, where everyone giggles and rolls on the rug, where oh, everyone dear. kisses and everyone grins and everyone cuddles and everyone wins. What? <laughs> okay. I was like, <laughs> forever changed. Okay, now <laughs> you get to read this. This is the last thing about him, then we'll go on to the reviews. Shel Silverstein wasn't a fan of happy endings. If you couldn't already tell by the Giving Tree's sad conclusion, Silverstein didn't believe in giving his stories happy endings. He felt that doing so would alienate his young readers. The child asks why I don't have this happiness thing you're telling me about, and comes to think when his joy stops that he has failed, that it won't come back, the author said in a 1978 interview. I don't understand a word of that. What? The child asks why I don't have this happiness thing. Yeah, so, no, it's like this. The child asks why I don't have this happiness thing you're telling me about and comes to think when his joy stops that he has failed and it won't come back. What? Okay, he's really screwed up. I know. And then he (laughs) says, it says, this turned out to be a risky move and the giving tree was rejected several times for being too sad or too unconventional. Fortunately, I think unfortunately... 
After four years of searching for a publisher, it found a home at HarperCollins, then Harper and Row, and has gone on to become one of the best-selling and most beloved children's books of all time. <laughs> I have a comment about this, but do you have anything you wanted to say first? Growing up, I read it and I didn't dislike it. The pictures were creepy. <laughs> yeah, I don't love his illustrators. Maybe style. because I was entitled little three-year-old and was like, yes, my parents should give me everything. And they <laughs> well, don't deserve You probably would have loved the book then. <laughs> I don't remember feeling one way or another about it, but I do know I read it like several times growing or people read it to me rather several times growing up. And just so many people, like so many people Ryan were like, this is one of my favorite, favorite children's <laughs> books. And I'm just like, it's, why though? You know? It, it, well, I mean, it shows about love and stuff and unconditional love. No, 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 no. no. And we're going to talk about that. Yeah, there's, there's some reviews in here that like really properly explain kind of my feelings about it. Well, I know, but it's like if it was a parent and a child... That's pretty much exactly how it is sometimes, you know? Like, you give everything to your kid, and your kid is a little turd. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're, we're going to discuss that. Not that we're I'm gonna, saying it's not happened in my life yet. Really, that's how I feel about parenting. But when he says, the child asks why I don't have this happiness thing you're telling me about, and comes to think when his joy stops that he has failed and won't come back. Instead of writing just sad endings to books, why don't we talk about resilience? And I do understand. I think this was published in, I don't remember. It was like the 60s or the 70s. And I do understand, again, that it was totally different. People were having different conversations back then. He must have been a depressed little kid if that's what his, he got out of childhood. Yeah. That all these happy endings make me depressed. It's like, yeah, yeah. Aw. I'm just like, no, I don't like that it at all. It doesn't work like that, but okay. Yeah, so anyway. All right, so I already read Sava. Oh, oh, sorry. So this was on Sava's. She was the one that said the codependent tree. Zania Daniel says, hi. And then Zania Daniel says, the period <laughs> giving period tree. <laughs> and then it just has her name with no comment. And I was like, what? Can you help me figure this out? I could not figure out what this was supposed to mean. Uh, I think she's saying it's about giving and not about codependency. Hi. hi. <laughs> the giving tree. <laughs> oh, these were also on Sava's. These are comments on Saba's review. Mitzi says, I always wanted to smack the kid for being so grubby and then smack the tree for being an enabler. Both need a lesson in boundaries. Grubby? Smack, smack. I'm just He's not really grubby. Grubby yeah. to me is like dirty. dirty. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Huh. Yeah, was kind of Maybe we don't know the real. James said, why do the man cut the his tree? <laughs> I do oh james know. you need to read a, a translated version obviously <laughs> or you're two all right james said after that after why do the man cut the his tree said fun personal <laughs> okay. I, know, I had almost as much fun looking through the comments <laughs> fun personal <laughs> this might have been one of those drunk goodreads scenarios you know that fun personal Morgan said, horrific relationship between a selfish, unappreciative child and an enabling, self-sacrificing mother who has no purpose in life other than to give herself away. I keep expecting a missing page to show up where he pisses all over the tree stump at the end. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> was, you know. I love that. Mm -hmm. I think this is offensive and despicable. It's a horrible lesson for children. I would rather see more literature that honors and respects the sacrifices that parents make rather than this book's actual focus, demonstrating the expectations that this black hole of a child has. <laughs> <laughs> He's nothing inside. He's just a black hole. <laughs> 
I feel that sacrifice without a concept of self gives less weight to the sacrifice. I don't okay, I feel that sacrifice without a concept of self gives less weight to the sacrifice. Yeah, so I think that's saying like the tree in the book, she just gives and gives and gives, but she has no sense of self. You know, it's like her purpose is just... That's so not really a sacrifice. She's just a tool. Exactly. Morgan continues, This could be rewritten with a hungry boy eagerly gnawing on the scraps that his mother is cutting off from her body. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. I was like, <laughs> yeah. what? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Not that last part. I'd like to see that children's book. It's like about zombies, I think. Carol said, my five-year-old daughter had this read to her in preschool and burst into uncontrollable sobs at the end. (laughs) I'm just picturing this little preschooler. It's not fair. The tree is dead and the little boy was so mean to it. Exactly, honey. This boy reeks of the patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it away from your kids, especially your daughters. So these are comments on Carol's review. This is Kevin. It's a terrible, revolting book, but it has nothing to do with a ludicrous, quasi-religious construct like the patriarchy, nor does anything (laughs) else for that matter. But here's what's so hilarious. Can you please describe what Kevin looks like to everyone? Well, he's a manly man with a beard and glasses and- Very white. uh, Oh, yes. And very patriarchal. (laughs) So- Okay, all right. That's why he was- That's why he's like- The patriarchy doesn't exist. Yeah, I'm like, you would say that, Kevin. Kevin. White white man. I know. You probably own land, too. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, this is Steven. He says, 1.0 stars. I remember loving this as a child when I was a spoiled, selfish, immature little boy. As I have aged and found myself more and more often in the position of the used, put upon, and taken for granted tree, I have decided that this book's central message is a horrible, infected pile of maggot-covered dung! That's capitalized. (laughs) And then Richard commented on that. Funnily enough, as I've gone from boy to tree, I've found it more and more moving. <laughs> so I'm like, not sure what he's what? talking about. He's like, he's well, into that, I first guess. I'm the freeloader, and then I'm the he, enabler. He, he, no, and then he I'm... likes being abused, I think. <laughs> I don't know. That's what it's I'm like getting. It's so poignant. <laughs> <laughs> Scarlet said. So the parent gives and gives and gives to keep the child happy and expects nothing in return, not even to thank you. That might be true, but I don't see why children need to know that. I mean, I don't want my future kids to read this and conclude that mommy will happily give away her fruits and leaves and branches and want nothing in return, even if that is true. And why is the tree female? Why she and not it? Why is it always the woman who sacrifices herself for someone else's sake? I'm offended. Yeah, I think that that was because of the time period that it was written. It just makes sense that they would have made it female. Well, clearly he's objectifying women, so might as well go the extra mile and objectify his mother. Yeah, and write a little book about (laughs) it. A little something, something that'll become beloved. mommy issues. She made a good point how she said, even if that is what we do, like, why would you encourage that? I Mm. like what she said about that, you know, because parents would give everything for their children, but you don't want to be like, this is what it should look like. That's not good modeling (laughs) for the kid, you know? So I thought that was a good point. Ladan said, At first I thought of it as pure unconditional love, but gradually it drove me up the wall. I wish I could take the tree to visit a psychologist in order to make her revalue her life and solve her childhood issues. I mean, gal, what's the matter with you? Wake up, this dude is abusing you to the core, and you don't realize it? Does it make you happy? Seriously? Yeah, she needs help. 
Yeah. I'm kind of curious about what it would look like to like uproot a tree and take it to a therapist. <laughs> this tree can talk. The okay. Sequel. No, you'd be taking up the, the stump. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The urine covered stump. <laughs> In the revised version. And he's like, how version. did I come to this place? <laughs> Lindsay said, I had always loved this book as a kid, although I sobbed every time I read it. After reading a friend's review and comments under her review, my mind has awakened. Now I'm realizing what a horrible message this book gave me. I've been working the last year to recover from childhood trauma and spending my adult life being a people pleaser, codependent Al-Anon, believing it was my job to save people, fix their problems. If you complained to me, I assumed you either blamed me for it or wanted me to fix it for you, or both, for example. I also only felt I had worth if I was of use to somebody. This one hit deep. That's why I, that's why I included like, it. <laughs> and was raised to think I had to be of service to have value. No wonder my abusers gave me this book. Jeez. Talk about reinforcing their unhealthy, dysfunctional, abusive messages. I was raised to feel I owned them. I had a debt just for existing being adopted. It was my job to earn and make them proud and give them status and bragging rights. I was also assigned to manage and fix their feelings. It was my job to make them happy, even at my own sacrifice and peril. I was three. Oh my Gosh, goodness. I know. With my recovered eyes, I see how the human is a consumer narcissist. The relationships are unequal, and the tree just keeps giving and giving, hoping, desperate to be loved, appreciated, seen, until it's got nothing left. And even then, it's still caretaking for the human who hasn't so much as watered the tree. Gross. With their urine. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had a thought about this as you were reading it. I was thinking that even though a lot of books we review were just like, what the heck, this book shouldn't exist, you know, or, know. or, you know, people say stuff. And at the same time, I'm grateful for these kind of books because I do feel like even though it's years and years later, it's opening dialogue for people and she's able to read this book with a different view. It's able to help her like delineate things that are wrong. You know what I mean? And though I'm sure she's done that in her regular life with her therapist or whatever, I think sometimes it's helpful to like really dive into something and figure out what about it is triggering or do you know what I mean? Uh -huh. But when she said that she felt like she owed somebody something just because she existed, I have felt that in times of my life, you know, like I'm in a way better place now, but it's like I owed so many people things that I I didn't, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I didn't need to be a certain way or I didn't need to be a certain person, you know, to please people. That's for anyone who's listening out there. That is not your job. Your job is not to make other people happy. You can't make anyone do anything. You can trigger things in people and you can do things that will bring them joy, but it's not your job to be in charge of other people's emotions. And your value does not depend on how useful you are to people. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, oh, I read that. Oh. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, next. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I'm proud of her for figuring so much out, Lindsay. That's Go, Lindsay. Yeah, go, Lindsay. This is Kay. She says, this book should be called The Taking Tree or the I Don't Care About This Tree. <laughs> I honestly don't understand how this book got good reviews. It's depressing. Should be called The Taking Tree. These are all capitalized. The boy basically selfishly took from her, showing now love, gratitude, or appreciation for the tree. Yet the tree begged for him to continue to take from her without being loved or cared for. Just thinking about the poor messaging makes me sad. I do not recommend this book. This story is not a good lesson for a child, boys or girls. 
Sharon Clem said, I was horrified. This book went into the trash. I couldn't make myself put it into the Goodwill box because I did not want to promote this ugly, ugly message of greed with no end. This nasty kid who grows up into a nasty adult who successfully kills the thing who is willing to give and give and give for his self-interest. Classic American story of our relationship with the natural world. Of course, it calls into question a tree that apparently has no self-respect and never says no enough. But that's not how this story is told. I guess in the right hands, it could impart some powerful lessons, but I'm not convinced that people take the time to seriously contemplate these kinds of ideas anymore. On the surface, it is just an ugly story about unfettered greed, a me-me-me mentality, no regard for anything but self, a stupidity that destroys, and a self-destructive tree with no sense of self-preservation. Part of the reason I included this one was because, oh, and by the way, the past two reviews we just read were from Amazon, but... People were getting like really deep into the philosophical discussion of this book. And Shel Silverstein was like, it's just a story. You know, he's like, I'm not. <laughs> Stop looking into it. Know, like, Stop psychoanalyzing me. I'm not me. saying anything about the Earth's relationship, people with religion, you know. But, but the thing is, like, regardless of what his intention was when he wrote it, whatever people perceive when they read, like, that's going right. to be what they see. The whole thing was bad karma from beginning to end. It met the recycle bin within 10 minutes of getting here. F and shame on you, Silverstein. <laughs> Look at that. So that's F what and it, shame. That's why I was like, is she like give, rating the book F or she's saying the F <laughs> word? She's like, F and shame on you, Shel Silverstein. Maybe that, yeah. Writing such a garbage story. Giving? Yeah, right. This book should go out of print and some of the decent stuff that was written for kids should go back in. Just totally disgusted over here. <laughs> I think it's funny too that she called it garbage because she literally threw it in the garbage. So it's good stuff. No, she threw it in the recycling bin. Oh yeah, you have to be conscientious. Conscious. Earth conscious. Eakin says this book promotes an unhealthy, destructive relationship between living beings. Halfway through the story, my ten-year-old screamed, "This is sick!" I cannot agree more. <laughs> this is sick. I included that one because I was really curious about what that would look like. Because we have, well, we have an eleven-year-old and an almost nine-year-old. Like, can you just imagine? Really, this is sick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this was just funny because this is pale blue dot, and just the title says "1920 called," and it wants it crappy book back. <laughs> Which I don't. This wasn't written. I don't know. He didn't even get his job at Playboy until 1954, and he wrote this. He wrote a lot of his children's stuff while he was living at the Playboy Mansion. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, Siri. When was The Giving Tree written? The Giving Tree was published October 7th, 1964. Okay, so 1964. It still is funny that they're like, 1920 called and wants it crappy book back. (laughs) (laughs) E.S. A terrible story for children and adults alike. What happens when you give and give until you die? The Giving Tree. Ugh, how is this top-rated book? <laughs> this, is not, this is funny. I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah? No? Yeah? <laughs> SS. This is a wonderful story, and Mr. Silverstein should receive all the credit and money for this creation, but how scary for a child to have his face plastered on the back cover. <laughs> I could not bring myself to give this as a gift to any young child. I will search for an older used copy that doesn't have this photo on the back cover. Buyer beware. (laughs) I'm just imagining her like turning it over like, "Ah, ah." (laughs) he wasn't a bad looking dude, but 
in his picture, he looks a little bit predatory, which I think yeah. is probably what so she's... Is that the black and white one where he's yeah. all beardy and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's what Looking she's... Looking off into the distance referring like, to I'm thinking about the Playboy Mansion right now. <laughs> the bunnies. <laughs> and I'm going to go measure somebody. <laughs> okay, but I thought she was saying scary for a child to have his face. Like, the child's face was... I was like, oh. how did the child's <laughs> face get on the back of no, the book? No, <laughs> she'll still Oh, face. yeah, I, I recognize <laughs> oh, that, but then... Funny. Come on. Yeah. Use your comma or whatever. Yeah, just poor, 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 poor. Poor, poor. <laughs> just poor. Just poor, poor. Sean. Why? Sad. Pregnant wife cried. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't say why question mark. It's why exclamation. Why? Sad. Pregnant wife cried. <laughs> and, it, and it's important because she's pregnant because I guess hormones? I don't know. I don't know, but that... <laughs> it's, like, it's worse to make a pregnant wife cry. I know, yeah. Well, for sure. Because she's... she's the baby's going to be affected in mm-hmm. the womb. Exactly. Yeah. Bella, this book is very stinky. Smells really, really bad. I want to return it, but can't now. <laughs> I was like, is the book physically stinky? I just no, need I more details. What, I think that's what Like, she it means. showed up and it smelled like poop. And she's just like... She said smells really, really bad. <laughs> well, good. Then she was saved, you know, from having to read the poop inside the book. <laughs> oh, Bella. Kelsey Hanmore. Good morality. The product review before buying said it was 50 plus page book. Upon reading it, it was very, very short. Good story, though. Just wish it was a collection of poems. I'm like, I think you're thinking of where the sidewalk ends. I'm not sure why she was like... <laughs> Good morality. Oh, my gosh. Come on, Kels. Where are you living? I just need to know, what place is that good morality? Amazon customer, mailman fail. The book is lovely. However, the mailman shoved it in my mailbox and ruined the cover. <laughs> I could barely get it out of my mailbox. It is a gift for a baby shower and wish that it didn't look used. Do they know the difference between an Amazon delivery guy and a mailman? I'm not sure they do. Oh, probably not. But I want to talk about <laughs> what that looked like. <laughs> Whether he was like, uh, yeah, I think I can I think I can fit it in here. <laughs> or was he just like, he puts it in, it doesn't fit, so he's like, I'm just gonna... And then he's like, smashing it down? I mean... Yeah, what he doesn't tell you is that this guy's always complaining about the mailman trucking mud on his porch or something. He's like, take this. All right, so this is... I wanted to save this for last. We're back to Goodreads. This is Amy. I found a thing today which improves this other thing a good bit. The Tree Who Set Healthy Boundaries, an alternate ending to Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree by Topher Payne from the Topher Fixed It series. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm going to read it. The Tree Who Set Healthy Boundaries, a parody alternate ending for Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree, part of the Topher Fixed It series for young people. Just read The Giving Tree, as usual, right up to the point where the boy comes hustling for a house. (laughs) Then feel free to print these pages and read as an alternative to everything that follows. I'm too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm, he said. I want a wife, and I want children, and so I need a house. Can you give me a house? And the tree said, okay, hold up. This is already getting out of hand. Look, I was fine with giving you the apples to help you get on your feet. They'll grow back next season anyway. But no, I'm not giving you a house. You know, I've seen boys like you pull this nonsense with other (laughs) trees in the forest. First, it's the apples, then branches, then the trunk. And before you know it, that mighty beautiful tree is just a sad little stump. Look here, boy. I love you like family, but I'm not going down like that. And while we're on the subject, the tree said, grabbing him by the collar of his shirt, I recognize friendships evolve over time. And we may not see each other as often because you don't have time for your tree friends. 
but we used to be real tight. Now it feels like I only see you when you need something. How do you think that makes me feel? Mm, I got friends like that. The boy took a long breath. He felt a sour rumble in his stomach because he realized he hadn't considered his friend's feelings. I bet it makes you feel bad, said the boy. Yes, boy, bad. I can't even remember the last time you asked me how I'm doing. How are you, tree? asked the boy. He sincerely wanted to know. So the tree told the boy all the gossip from the forest and introduced him to the family of red squirrels that had moved into her trunk. (laughs) While she was glad for the company the squirrels provided, she was concerned about the long-term health effects of hosting a burrow. (laughs) (laughs) So the boy called the local arborist who explained that squirrels don't eat wood. They only build nests in pre-existing holes, so the tree was in no danger. The tree was so relieved, and so was the boy. He loved his friend and was concerned about her long-term health, because she had taught him the importance of empathy. And so it continued, the tree and the boy looking out for each other like that, both of them content in the knowledge that someone had their back. The boy attended culinary school. The tree took courses online and got her certification in small business management. (laughs) They did their homework together nearly every day. The boy became a pastry chef. Together, they opened a bakery selling the best apple pies anyone had ever tasted. It turned a profit in the first 18 months, which is most uncommon. Eventually, the boy had a son of his own, and much later, the son of the boy had his own family too. Because of their friendship, the boy was successful and fulfilled, and the tree grew wider and stronger, standing tall and beautiful in the forest for many, many, many years, plus a few years even more than that. As each generation played in her strong old branches, the tree often thought back to the fateful day when the boy asked her for a house. In truth, she would have gladly given him her branches to build one. She would have given him her trunk to build a boat. She loved him that much. But then she would have had nothing left, not for herself, nor anyone else, and there never would have been a home for the red squirrels. There'd have been no hide-and-seek with the boys' grandchildren, no bakery with the best apple pies anyone ever tasted. Setting healthy boundaries is a very important part of giving. It assures you'll always have something left to give. And so the tree was happy. Everyone was. The end. Uh, And it's got... Yeah, the illustrations. It's like, how did they do that? They must have gone through his other books or something? And I think somebody... Well, some of them are obviously, like, just pasted in Well, there, yeah, but, but that one, I don't yeah, think the, that's from his other books. I don't know, but it doesn't look like his same style. Anyway, well, it's pretty close. That's awesome. I know. I was like, I kind of want to read more of what this guy does. I love that. So I thought we could just end with that, the tree who set healthy boundaries, because... <laughs> and the cover has the tree <laughs> saying no. <laughs> yeah, that's what it should have looked like. So thank you guys for joining us this week on... Dun, da, 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 da. Ryan tries to guess... Bad reviews for good books. 